I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to episode 289 of the podcast. I am happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action that is coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, it is time for another Frogman Friday edition of First Class Fatherhood, and I have got a tremendous guest for you guys today. He is an American hero who served at the tip of the spear with both the Army and the Navy, Michael Rutledge joins me today, and Mike recently finished up a 30-year military career, which included serving with the elite United States Navy SEAL teams, and then after years of serving as a SEAL, he transferred to the Army and became a Chief Warrant Officer with the 160th SOAR, so he went from frogman to night stalker pilot. I don't know how many people have ever done that before. Uh, Talk about an all-American. What an absolute honor this is for me. Mike Rutledge will be here in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And Mike is the second Night Stalker pilot that I've had the honor of speaking with on the podcast. The other, of course, is legendary Black Hawk Down pilot Mike Durant, who was here back on episode 243. If you missed out on that, I highly recommend you flip it back and take a listen. And today will be the last episode for a little while here as I shut it down for Thanksgiving. I have been pumping out five episodes a week since I returned from summer break. This is the 58th episode since Labor Day, and I have been working extremely hard to bring you guys the best possible content with the most incredible dads that I can. And in those 58 episodes, there have been five NFL Hall of Famers, including Terrell Davis, Ronnie Lott, Tim Brown, Warren Moon, and Michael Haynes. Two Medal of Honor recipients, Ed Byers and Michael Thornton. The Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort. UFC President Dana White, and so many more. So as I take a little break here from producing, I pray that you will continue listening. I cannot say thank you enough for all of your support out there. You guys are the reason why I continue to keep going here. So let's go, dads. Please, keep spreading the word about this podcast to every father that's in your neighborhood or in your contact list. Let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. Fatherhood rocks. Family values rule, and every day is Father's Day right here with me. And I will be right back with Frogman, Night Stalker pilot, all-American hero, Michael Rutledge. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. Dads, are you tired of taking supplements that never deliver? Well, Redcon One was created to ensure that you get real hardcore products that deliver real results. Trusted by four-time world's strongest man, Brian Shaw, and founded by supplement entrepreneur, Aaron Singerman, Redcon One is crushing the industry. You have to try their MRE bars, which are packed full of nutritious food sources that will replenish your system when you need it most. And they taste so good, your toddler will think they're eating a candy bar. But we're talking whole food meal replacement. And right now, First Class Fatherhood listeners can save 20% on their entire order from Redcon 1. Simply use the promo code FATHER at the checkout. So let's go, dads. For the highest state of readiness, choose Redcon 1. Visit Redcon1.com, use the promo code FATHER, and save 20%. Uh, joining me now, First Class Father, Mike Rutledge. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me on the show. All right, let's start here. How many kids do you have and how old are they? I have three kids. I've got a 19-year-old son, an 18-year-old son, and a 15-year-old son. Wow, okay. Yeah, I'm headed in that direction there. My three boys are 13, 12, and 8, and then I have a daughter that's 5. So I'm just about to get to where you are now, so this will be beneficial to me. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> what type of uh, sports or activities are they all into? Um, so 
at different stages. They uh, have done football, crew. Um, the youngest is big into football, track, and lacrosse. So we've kind of kind of covered the spectrum of the sports. Yeah, now, now do you get in there? Have you ever coached them in any of their teams, or do you kind of like to enjoy that more from the stands? No, uh, oddly enough, I mean, I played big-time high school and college football, and uh, I never really got too much into the coaching or being super involved. Um, my youngest, I coached his football team for uh, about three seasons uh, before he got to high school. Really enjoyed it, and then I figured by the time they get to high school, it's it's time for me to let let the pros do their thing because uh, – you know, the casual dad coach had kind of run its course. But I really enjoy being a spectator and just being supportive. So I don't necessarily have to be in the middle of all of it. It's their show and their spotlight. And I'm much happier just being supportive. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I'm with you there. I mean, I enjoyed it when, when my kids were like, you know, four or five years old when it was the small, not really too super competitive yet, and just learning the game and having fun. So I kind of enjoyed coaching them at that stage. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, Mike, if you could, please just take a minute here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Um, so I just retired October 1st um, from 30 years in the military. Um, I spent, I come from a, a little farm town in Illinois, Galesburg, Illinois. Um, played uh, one year of Division One football, was not very good at it, and decided that was not going to be my future course. I was definitely not going to go to the NFL. So I finished the uh, semester at a community college, went and enlisted in the Navy as a helicopter rescue swimmer and an air crewman. I did three years as a CH-46 crew chief and rescue swimmer and saw some SEALs one day, to make the story short, saw some SEALs from Naval Special Warfare Group 1 in Guam and decided that that was truly my destiny. So I put an application, went to BUDS, graduated in BUDS class 197 in uh, 1994 and stayed at SEAL Team 1, a couple different positions, I was an instructor for a couple years, uh, basically left SEAL Team 1 in 2002, transferred to the Army, uh, to the Warrant Officer Flight Program, became a Warrant Officer Aviator, and went direct to the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment from there, and spent 14 years at the regiment as an MH-47 pilot, and instructor pilot, and test pilot, a bunch of other stuff, and uh, when I was with the 160th, deployed 16 times, and spent my last three years at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point as a commander of the Aviation Department in the Executive Flight Detachment. So that's how I ended up. I left the 160th of 2016 and had the amazing privilege to basically be dad to another 4,000 cadets at West Point. And uh, I'm pretty sure that I got as much out of mentoring them as they did hanging around with me. So that was a great and honorable way to end a 30-year career. Yeah, well, what a career it was, Mike, and thank you so much for your service. It's incredible uh, what you've accomplished here in your career. And at what part in this, around, around how old were you when you first became a dad, and how did becoming a father kind of change your perspective on life? So I was completely indifferent to kids, and uh, my wife kind of laughs about it, but I just did not have a heart for children until she got pregnant. And uh, I didn't even actually believe she was pregnant until she showed me on the sonogram there was actually a little person in there. And so... You don't realize, when you become a dad, you don't realize what you're missing. And I kind of tell some of my friends that don't have kids yet, and they're like, oh, we never want kids. I'm like, yeah, I never did either. But you don't you don't realize what you're missing until you become a father. You know, whether it's a boy or a girl, it doesn't matter. Um, so that changed my entire world. It changed my goals. It changed where I wanted to live, um, how I had a perception on, you know, different locations where places I wanted to live before, places we thought we wanted to Move to all of a sudden you find out they have bad schools and you're like, well, that's not where we want to live. So 
I know those are kind of academic points, but it changes your entire perspective when you realize that you're responsible for the upbringing of another human, or humans as the case may be. Yeah, yeah, very well said. And, uh, I mean, you got to have the, the coolest background of any father. You're a Navy SEAL and then Night Stalker pilot. So uh, that, uh, that also is a lot to live up to, you know, especially as a son. We all try to, you know, uh, look up to our fathers and try to impress them. Uh, has your success or your career, has that, that had any kind of negative impact on your sons as far as them feeling like they need to impress you, or how have you kind of handled that? You know, I, I tried really hard. I know it's kind of gratuitous, but I tried really, really hard to not let it affect them. I have always told them that uh, I don't care what you do. I said, you know what, the Navy and the Army, SEALs and what's like that, said, that's just what I wanted to do. It worked for me. It doesn't have to work for you. Don't feel at all like you have to follow in footsteps. I said, and quite frankly, I'd be happy if you made your own footsteps. I would be way proud of you. You know, it's just it's just what I did. It doesn't have to be what you do. So I have never pushed them into anything. And I think though they have lived a lifestyle, you know, basically a special operations family for as long as they've been alive, um, you know, so they've taken on some mannerisms because they just can't help it. It's the way they've lived. And, you know, when you've got – when you got a kid that's 10 years old that's on the porch with a bunch of guys from SEAL Team 6 drinking beer and, you know, they can't help it. When they have that impression, that's 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 their life. So I don't know what they're actually going to do with it. I think they'll all end up in the military in some capacity. Whether it's a career or not, doesn't matter. But I've never pushed them. I just said, I've enjoyed it. This is what I've done. Take from it what you want. You know, there's good and bad, and take your own course. So me personally, I don't think it's healthy to push your kids into something you happen to enjoy. You know, I just, I want them to be happy and be professional and do what they want to do. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, well said there, Mike. And and what about as far as discipline goes? Well, I mean, a Navy SEAL and a special operations pilot, obviously very disciplined yourself, but uh, what type of disciplinarian have you been as a father? You know, I don't know that I was a strict disciplinarian. They would probably disagree with me. I think my, <laughs> my metric, my, my wife and I came up with the metric that our discipline the criteria for our discipline is we're going to raise kids that we like being around because if we like being around them, you know, chances are everyone else will too. So I know that sounds kind of, kind of liberal, but that's what we got. Like if you're, if you're being a butthead and you're being annoying around the house, chances are if we take you out in public, someone else is going to get annoyed by it. So discipline, I will tell you that uh, you can expect it obviously in our household that any sort of disrespect or talking back or anything like that, you know, gets dealt with pretty swiftly. Um, but they also know that it's doled out with a lot of love. So there's never, there's never really, you know, there's no crack in the whip per se. It's, it's just more, Hey, what you're doing, it's affecting us like this. And, and I don't have to raise my voice because you know exactly what's going to happen if you keep pushing it. So maybe kind of draconian, but when you're living in a blue house with a bunch of wolves, that's kind of how you have to run it. I think. Yeah, yeah, very cool. And uh, what about, I mean, you've hit some of these milestones that I'm heading in that direction right now. Like I said, my oldest is only 13. Uh, how did you kind of handle when your boys started hitting that dating scene? Did you have any kind of rules or restrictions on them? How did you kind of handle the whole, um, uh, you know, chasing girls dating scene? Oh, so we're actually in the midst of that right now. Funny you should ask that out. Um, <laughs> so it's inevitable. And, uh, you know, to be quite frank, on the show, which is probably more information people want to know, you know, you can't deny, you can't deny the whole sexuality thing. I think the worst thing a parent can do is, is lock them down and pretend that it doesn't exist because it certainly does. So we tried to deal with it early on in a very healthy manner. Um, you know, even when they were like 10, 11, 12, when everybody started to get curious and say, Hey, it's healthy. 
but you know whatever perspective a particular family follows, whether it's doctrinal, biblical, you know, um, whatever, you know, we just try to explain to them that you know what you're feeling is healthy, it's normal, you know, you go through the whole sex talk and all that kind of stuff, and just try and keep it out of the shadows. Um, but since I have sons, believe it or not, what we ended up telling them that seemed to have the biggest impact was, as far as the physical aspect, you know, and dating was that. One, just understand that when you're dating, um, you're not just dating to have fun. In reality, you're looking for the person you're going to marry. So if you don't think you're going to marry her, you know, don't, don't. it's okay to get to know people and have fun and find out what you like and don't like. Um, but just remember that the whole purpose of dating is to find out who you're going to marry. Um, you know, and the second point was when you decide what kind of a physical relationship you're going to have with this girl, just remember that uh, – you know, when you get ready to marry your wife, how many guys do you want her to have her have her lips on when you marry your wife? So we try to put it in their perspective. Um, you know, and as far as even taking responsibility as, as young men, our final lesson to them was that, hey, you know what? We understand hormones and passion and all that kind of stuff because we were 16, 17, 18. But she may not appreciate it now. But if you say no and you take care of her and honor her and, and all those things, she won't appreciate it at 17 or 18, but I guarantee, you know, when she's 25, 26 or whatever, and she gets ready to get married, she may not even remember your name, but she'll remember the one guy that said, hey, let's not, you're a sweet girl, um, you know, let's just, let me cherish you and, and send you on your way. So I know that sounds really outdated and old-fashioned, um, and of course we would never know if our sons did or did not adhere to that, but that's kind of what we try to tried to let them know that that was our, our thought process on the whole dating and relationship thing. Yeah, I mean, you painted the perfect picture there of what I would hope to see uh, my children do at some point down the line. It's just one of the things, Mike, it's just like right now is the technology, the things that they have the access to. Like back in the day, man, it's like if one kid had a Playboy magazine in school, like he was the guy, like everyone hovered around his locker and stuff. Now today, just a quick Google search, and you can get thousands of pages of these raw images where if it's like their first introduction to the stuff, man, it can really be mind-blowing to these kids. Yeah, you know, and I, my heart goes out to all the fathers right now that have, I'll say sons at least, you know, sons that are 10 years old because we're in denial a little bit, and that is the age that they start getting exposed to it. And so what we found out is putting your head in the sand and pretending like it's not happening to your kids is not the way to go. Um, being proactive and understanding and, you know, keeping some perspective and that, you know, if they find these images and they're going to, you know, no kid is immune to it these days, they're going to, you have to be prepared to have the, the hard discussions that none of us really wants to have with our kids because, um, you know, getting addicted or having all stuff in your head is puts you in a dark hole pretty quick and it just gets darker and deeper if, you know, as a parent, you pretend it's not happening and just say, oh, it'll be all right, or, you know, it's what every boy does. Um, in this day and age, it might be, but it doesn't relieve us, you know, the responsibility as parents of trying to help them out. Yeah, definitely, and well said there. I know another one of these things that I'm kind of, um, you know, bracing myself for that I'm going to hit is when they start driving. I know you got two at least that have already been there and done that. What was that experience like for you uh, when the kids first started driving, getting their licenses, and how was that? Hey,
Hey dads, are you looking to boost your energy level? Strikeforce Energy has got you covered. With a Strikeforce Energy Packet, you can turn any beverage into an energy drink. Their original energy packets contain no sugar, no calories, just an explosion of energy and flavor added to any beverage. Strikeforce Energy is veteran-owned, and all their products are made right here in the United States. Co-founded by Navy SEAL Sean Matson, Strikeforce Energy blows away the energy drink competition. Right now, First Class Fatherhood listeners can save 15% off their purchase by visiting StrikeforceEnergy.com and using the promo code FATHERHOOD. Strikeforce Energy turns any beverage into an energy drink. Get yours today. StrikeforceEnergy.com, promo code FATHERHOOD. Things that I'm kind of, um, you know, bracing myself for that I'm going to hit is when they start driving. I know you got two at least that have already been there and done that. What was that experience like for you uh, when the kids first started driving, getting their licenses, and how was that? For us, it was probably a little bit different, I think. Uh, my oldest, because we lived on a farm, so I had him driving, you know, started out driving lawn tractors and, you know, other big tractors, and I had old farm trucks and stuff like that, so he was pretty easy. Um, we just moved from New York, you know, where you're taking your life in your own hands if you let a teenager out there to drive. So that's a little bit different, but the rules we set out for him, um, we took the we took the burden of buying cars for them and paying the insurance and all that kind of stuff, and, and they're pretty good with it because they know it's a very fragile balance. The first tickets you get, you know, the first violation you have, whatever, the first time we find you driving unsafe or using poor judgment, um, you know, you're going to lose that, that privilege. And, of course, now we realize that for the teenagers, the car is their biggest symbol of freedom you could possibly take away. If you, if you take away their car and their phone, you might as well bury them six feet under, I guess, as far as your teenager. Um, but I've also spent a life of teaching people how to operate complex machinery. So I took, took to heart, you know, the job of teaching them to drive and, and to be safe and make good decisions. So um, of all the different teenage challenges we've had with the sons, having them be safe and, and using solid judgment as a driver hasn't been one of them. Yeah, that's awesome. And how about as far as uh, flying? Have they gone flying with you? Are any of them interested in getting a pilot's license or anything like that? So they do. And what's humorous is we own, I think, five airplanes of different sorts. And uh, I always grew up flying where all my friends' fathers were, you know, they all wanted their kids to solo gliders at 14 and get their license at 17. And, and it was a big deal. And, and I'm even a flight instructor, and my boys fly with me all the time. And only one of them has really showed a passion for it. And I'm just fine with that. Kind of like the same thing with being in the SEAL Team 0160th. I have always told them, like, I would love you to go flying with me. Come hang out at the airport with me, whatever. And sometimes it's like, hey, no, Dad, I got other stuff going on. And I never push them um, because, again, flying has always been my therapy. It's always been my hiding place to kind of recharge. So I enjoy it. It's my thing. But I don't expect it to be their thing. You know, like I said, I've got one that's really big into sports. That's his thing, and he lists all the time, and I think that's awesome. I try and engage with him on that as much as possible. Um, my oldest is a complete motorhead. You know, he likes taking engines apart and working on muscle cars and stuff like that. And he also, you know, wants a career in the military and wants to fly. But I don't push it on him. I, anytime they say they want to do it, I just support them. But, again, it's my thing, and I think it's important to not – you know, make them think that it has to be their thing, but just make it available. Yeah, and obviously you you can, uh, you know, I respect that, that you're going to let them make your decision as far as military options for them. But when it comes down to the Army-Navy game, who are you rooting for when that goes on? So what's really funny is my three years I spent at West Point, of course, 
I was always a weird unicorn because where do you have a Navy SEAL that's an Army <laughs> Warrant Officer at West Point? You know, so I was definitely the, the oddity. And they would always ask me, who are you rooting for? I'm like, it's easy, man. I said, you know, I was always taught that you should always say whatever company you're in is the best company, and that company is in the best battalion, and that is in the best regiment in the entire Army. You know, so whatever unit you're in, that is the best place to be. And so the same goes for the Army-Navy game. Um, I never even had um, any sideward thoughts about who I was going to root for because I'm like, you know what, the Army's paying my paycheck. I am a, an instructor and a commander of West Point, so I'm waving the Army flag. Now, it does get kind of interesting um, when, you know, we had the leapfrogs and some other guys showing up at games, and and uh, a guy named Dan Luna, who is the, uh, a SEAL representative, a senior chief at, at Annapolis. That's yeah, Dan on the show. Yeah, so Dan and I would always go back and forth a little bit. I'm like, yeah, I can't help it, man. Um, so that's kind of funny. Um, you got to be loyal to the brand. So I was at West Point, so I was rooting for Army every single game. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, and you know what? And, and talking about you know your kids going into those right now, it's like it seems like. I mean, I drive Uber on the weekends, and I, I drive around a lot of college kids and or people that just graduated college, and it seems like um, I don't really like the vibe of what's going on with the whole college system right now. It seems like. Um, Many kids are coming out not knowing where to go. And like you said, your one son is a gearhead. I've been a mechanic, you know, my entire life, and it's supported me and my family. But um, do, you, do any of your kids have interest in going to any of the big colleges, and how would you feel about that? Oddly enough, um, you know, I blew, I grew up completely blue-collar, you know, kind of dirt poor. I mean, it's kind of another story. but So I had no options. So me enlisting in the Navy, and a holy cow, becoming a warrant officer was probably like the best thing that I could have ever hoped for. And, you know, lo and behold, being a commander at West Point, I kind of laugh. I'm like, there's there's no way a guy like me should even be allowed to walk through the gates of West Point, let alone command there. So I always appreciated the privilege of that. But I always wanted my sons to think that they were capable of more. You know, and you'd always like to think, well, I'm giving them a better life. And my wife and I, we spent a lot of time grooming them to want more and you know, capable of more and all that. Um, and in the end, um, my oldest son, you know, we, we kind of paved the way for him. Like, hey, if you want to go to West Point, we're here, it's easy. And and he looks at me one day, you know, with kind of his big alligator tears as a 17-year-old. He's like, Dad, because I, I really think West Point is cool. He goes, but I just want to be a dirty warrant officer like you. <laughs> and, you know, so, so what do you do with that when you finally realize that, you know, some of us are, are – destined and groomed and equipped to go do the big university thing, and they will make outstanding citizens and humans. And some just want other stuff, and I've come to realize, because I'm a big fan of Mike Rowe, I've just come to realize that everybody needs to do their thing, but whatever it is, you know, do it with a passion. Whether that's driving a garbage truck or trades or whatever, and just do your thing. I mean, I, I have very little favor for people that look down on others who don't attend large universities and have, you know, outstanding and impressive degrees. I think that's great for, for a lot of people, but some it's not. So, um, like I said, I don't know exactly what my oldest son is going to do, but he's very hands-on and he made it very clear that he wasn't interesting or he wasn't interested in attending a, a big university. And if he did, you know, it was going to culminate in some sort of military career. And the youngest since he was 10 said, Hey dad, all I want to do is go to Bud's. So, you know, he goes, all I want to do is go to Bud's and be a SEAL. So when a 10-year-old tells you that and he shows you that he's making all this progress and works out every morning at 6 o'clock in the morning um, to show you that he's working towards that, 
how do you let that kid in the eye and say, you need to go to college for four years and not be able to tell him why he's going to go do it? So we just try to be supportive of whatever direction they're kind of leaning in. Yeah, very cool. And and what about as far as yourself, Mike? I mean, you've had all this, I mean, a a military, 30-year military career that's come to an end here. What kind of goals or plans do you have for yourself for the future? Um, So when I retired, my therapy, as I tell people, was uh, about five years ago I started flying crop dusters, which if you don't know anything about the industry, everybody laughs like, oh, what a redneck profession. It's really not. It's kind of beyond the scope of of the discussion of this show, but um, it's a very precise demanding method of flying. You know, you're flying around in a single-season plane by yourself at 15 feet and 150 miles an hour in and out of the the trees and the crops and stuff. Um, Very demanding. And so for about the last five years, I took everybody's Thanksgiving and Christmas deployments at the 160th so I could have my summers off and come back to the Midwest where I'm from and fly crop dusters. I didn't know that it was going to turn into an occupation. It was more my therapy. You know, I was just by myself for 30 days kind of recaged my brain, and I went, you know, got back on the on the boat and started rowing and doing deployments again. Um, so when I retired, I kind of enjoyed it so much that it turned into an occupation. So when we retired from West Point, everyone expected me to either go to the airlines or, you know, go be a, a civilian contractor or go to D.C. or any of those things um, that I could have done for a much larger paycheck. Um, instead, we we bought out um, the gentleman that I've been flying crop dressers for for the last couple of years. He wanted to retire, and it was perfect timing. So now we live in a little rural Amish community in northern Indiana, six minutes away from our grass airstrip. And during the summertime, starting about May, running through October 1st, I go out and open the hangar and pull out my little turbine-powered crop duster, and, you know, I fly for 10 hours a day. And we love it, and it's exactly what we needed at the time. Um it's just very therapeutic. Not not everything has to culminate into a big, huge, grand plan. I often will tell people, like, well, how can you do that? You had this this amazing career. You know, surely you've got other plans. I'm like, yeah, you know, I do a lot of speaking. You know, I've got some, some writing projects in the works to keep myself busy during the wintertime. But I really enjoy the occupation. And uh, I've often told people the reason I can relax and have such calmness I said it's because I got to do everything that a man could ever ask to do. You know, I was privileged to have an opportunities and a whole bunch of people that allowed those opportunities. You know, so what else could a guy want to do? Um, so we're we're very happy kind of with our, our little niche that we found here in northern Indiana. Yeah, that's very cool. You mentioned there writing uh, projects. Does any of them include a book about your life story here that we could look forward to? Uh it is coming. Um, I won't give away all the all the details, but uh, there is absolutely no chest beating in it. Um, it's actually usually a reflection of a lot of very humorous events that sort of shape the career. You know, a lot of people, they just see this, all the shiny stuff, as I refer to, um, of the career, but really it was shaped by a lot of people that gave me breaks at very pivotal times, a lot of outstanding mentors, and they just allowed me to take advantage of the opportunities that were presented. You know, there's there is no secret sauce, there was no Jedi Knight School or anything like that. Um, it's really just due to a lot of people helping a guy out at critical times that allowed me to, to pounce on opportunities. So, yeah, it's going to be like that. It's going to be kind of a lot of funny stories, but uh, relatable and humorous. 
Yeah, I definitely look forward to that, as I do all the Navy SEAL books. I'm, like I said, I, I know that there's always a little gray area with the SEALs that have been out and on Instagram. I just think as a civilian, it's such a benefit to our entire society that we have access to some of you guys to be able to get a chance to read what you guys uh, have gone through and to get a chance to follow you on social media and stuff. I just think it, it benefits our whole um, our whole community here. Um, uh, last thing I want to hit you with here, Mike, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about-to-be father who's out there listening? I think for the new dads, um, what makes the house work and what makes the integration of your new child in your house work is uh, supporting mom. And I know that sounds kind of cliche, but I realized early on that, you know, being a dad is not like the TV shows where you're just sitting outside the waiting room and waiting for this clean kid to come out. Um, if you get in the habit right from the get-go of being an integrated part of the family, that means wiping dirty butts, changing diapers. If mom's up at 3 in the morning nursing, you know, you're sucking it up and sitting next to her in the rocker so she knows it doesn't suck by herself, even though there's not really anything you can do about it. That kind of set the tone for both our, our relationship as parents and kind of our, our silent agreement on how we were going to raise the kids, which was, um, you know, Everybody's going to take part in this, and particularly important if you're, you know, if you're married to a military guy or a military girl, and, and you've got the challenges or any other challenging application or occupation where they're gone all the time. Um, you know that that builds the foundation of having a, a durable and flexible family because kids will change everything, but in the absolute best way. Yeah, very well said. I love the message. This has been a big honor for me. i got to say, Mike Rutledge, you are a first-class father all the way. Thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on First Class Fatherhood. Alec, it was my pleasure for having me on the show. Thanks for your time. Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. i got to give a special thank you once again to Michael Rutledge for giving me a few minutes of his time here. That was such an honor. Please hit me up on Twitter, guys, or drop me that DM on Instagram. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. I always love to read your feedback. And make sure you guys lock it into my Instagram accounts, at Alec underscore Lace and at First Class Fatherhood for all of the upcoming guest announcements as I go on a little hiatus here for the Thanksgiving holiday. I hope you enjoy the time with your family and your kids. Thank you guys for listening so much. I'm Alec Lace. This has been First Class Fatherhood. And please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers. And we're not just fathers. We are first class fathers.